When the storm comes, it's too late. It's too late when the wind is howling to tie down the kids' trampoline, uh, to put supports underneath the tree branches. When the storm comes, it's too late. Uh, We've been working our way through 1 Peter, a letter written by the Apostle Peter to Christians living in what we now call Turkey. And he was writing to them so they would stand firm or stand fast when the storms come. So have a look at the end of chapter 5. So 1 Peter 5, 12, why Peter wrote this letter? 1 Peter 5, 12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Why did Peter write this letter? Because he wants believers to stand fast. Why have we been listening carefully to this letter? Because God wants you, he wants us to stand fast. Storms will come. Maybe you've already weathered a few. Storms of suffering will come. As we heard in chapter 1, you've suffered grief in all kinds of trials. Maybe when you look at your life, maybe you'd say, oh, actually, I haven't endured much by way of trials. Reading 1 Peter has told you that storms will come, so either way, we need to hear 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter is God's gift to us. It's part of the way God helps us to stand fast in his true grace. Standing fast, not just knowing what is true, but living faithfully. I think that's one of the dangers we can have in our type of church. We are big on truth, big on studying the Bible, having true doctrine, and that's important, but it goes hand in glove with true and faithful living. And that's what we're going to be hearing today. What kind of people does God call us to be in the midst of struggles and suffering? And first up, God calls Christian leaders to be examples of godliness. So this is verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. God calls Christian pastors to stand fast as an example of godliness. Peter himself is an example of godly eldership. Notice he doesn't pull rank. In verse 1, he could have said, I appeal to you as an apostle, as someone who Jesus himself spoke to and gave a really important role. But he doesn't do that. He humbly speaks as a fellow elder. I'm one of you. And he reminds us that Jesus, who is the Lord of glory, 
Uh, we saw that at the end of chapter 3, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Yes, angels and demons are under the power of the Lord Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Not a sparrow dies, nor a president ascend to power outside of his control. But Jesus is our great Lord who suffered for his people. That's the model. Peter's example, but more so Jesus' self-giving suffering is the model of Christian leadership. And Peter gives us three specific things God says about overseers of his church. Three essential qualifications for elders. It's got nothing to do with skills. A good elder of God's church isn't someone who's had or isn't necessarily someone who's had political or business success. The qualifications, they need to be willing, generous examples. Willing, generous examples. But Peter makes it even clearer clearer by pairing these three things that elders must be with three things that elders must not be. They're not to be reluctant. The compulsion of eldership needs to be internal, from God, not external. I know of churches where someone's become an elder of that church because they look around and they say, well, there's no one else to do it, no one else is willing, and if no one else does, well, we've got to have some kind of eldership, and if we don't, if it's not me, it's going to be, the church will close. And so... And I know in one of those situations, that person was then elected an elder, but resigned before the first meeting of the elders, because all of a sudden he woke up to what he'd gotten himself into. Not reluctant. Now, this doesn't mean we don't encourage someone to step up into leadership. But if you've got to twist their arm, if you've got to toot a horn to get their attention, if you've got to twist their arm and they only take the role because of your manipulation, it is a recipe for disaster. So first up, God wants willing leaders. Uh, second, not greedy. And sadly, we see these two. Uh, there are Christian leaders and at least from the outside looking in, it seems they're in it for greed. The health and wealth preacher with their multiple private jets, it's obscene. Not least of which because they've stolen the money to buy those jets. They've stolen from vulnerable people. They preach, God will bless you if you give lots of money to me. And it's not just the prosperity preachers with their expensive suits and bad hair. Even a very well-known anti-prosperity preacher has recently been called out for owning multiple multi-million dollar homes and taking home a bigger stipend than the American president. One of the things I'm glad for in our denomination is the stipend, the amount of money I get paid, it's set by an a group of people from our denomination and there are no ministers on that commission and, and rightly so. So... We just talked about the the pledge appeal. If you give more money to our church, I don't get paid a cent more. I think that's really good. So the first two warnings, elders must not be reluctant or in it for the money. Third, elders mustn't be in it for power. And this is also a really big one, isn't it? 
There's been a number of high-profile Christian leaders over the last few years, and this has been their undoing. They've abused their position. They've been bullies, overbearing, controlling. Jesus said that's not how we do leadership in his kingdom. What's the problem with elders who are reluctant or greedy or bullies? They're motivated by the wrong thing. The reluctant overseer is motivated by pleasing others. The greedy elder is motivated by their pleasure or the false security of wealth. The bully pastor is driven by his own ego. But godly leaders don't look for reward or glory in this life, but reward and glory when Jesus returns. Now, we're not all going to be elders or leaders in God's church, so what does this say to us? One thing is, choose leaders wisely. Choose leaders wisely. A godly leadership cannot be self-appointed. It's just too common for self-appointed leaders to be greedy or bullies. I think it's good that in our church, elders are elected by the members. And this means if you are a member of our church, you have a big responsibility. It's my prayer that God will provide and raise up more godly men to be elders of our church. It's my prayer that we might be ready to elect new elders sometime soon. And when that happens, if you're a formal communicant member of our church, you have a real responsibility to ensure the elders of our church are Christ-like examples. It's so important to choose the right It's one reason why membership matters. It's so important to choose godly elders. It's also important because God calls us to submit to our elders. Verse 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Uh, This isn't about respecting those who've got more Ks on the odometer than you, though that is a virtue. It's good for us to uh, respect those who are older than us. Verse 5 is about submitting to those with the office. Let's call it office of elder, pastor, overseer. Uh, Submitting to authority is something we've already come across in 1 Peter. And it seems to be a hard one. Our sinful desires are strong on wanting to rebel against authority. We don't want to submit because human authority in some way reflects God's authority. That's why 1 Peter 2.13 it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. God calls us to submit to the government, to masters in marriage. We're called to submit not despite Jesus being Lord, but because he is. And it's the same in church, which is another reason why, <clears throat> another reason why church membership is important. Uh, this came home to me I was talking with a mate a friend who was thinking through whether or not he should become a formal member of his church or not. Why would you? Uh, What do you gain that you don't get from just going along and being connected to the church and, and, you know, there most Sundays, part of a Bible study group, serving in different ways? And And the answer he came to, and I think he was right, he worked out he should become a member 
because it was good for him to be accountable and under authority as a Christian. Strangely enough, he decided the main benefit of formal membership, <coughs> sorry, becoming a church member is not like getting, you know, becoming a member of the American Express, you know, membership has benefits. He thought actually the, the main benefit of formal membership is that he could get kicked out. He could face discipline. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? especially in our individualistic culture. But in the gospel, it makes sense. If Jesus is Lord, if he rules over all, including his church, we express this truth by submitting ourselves to appropriate authority. I'm not sure how you can live out 1 Peter 5.5 without being a member of a church. But... You need to hear this really clearly, and I need to hear this really clearly. This is why godly leadership is so important. Godly leadership is important because it's so easy for authority to be abused. And that's why it's essential for elders and pastors to be accountable. Uh, In a Presbyterian church... I don't think this, I think this is not only wise, but it's biblical. In Presbyterianism, elders and ministers are accountable. I'm accountable for what is preached in this church. All of our decisions are up for review and appeal. If you have a complaint, if you see an elder not living up to what 1 Peter 5 calls us to, there's a process. Now that process, it might start with a conversation a private chat with that elder or the minister. And if that doesn't change thing, things, make the complaint in the because I am accountable. Tom is accountable. Jono up in Bagara as an elder of our church is accountable. Just as younger people are to submit to elders, the elders submit to those in authority over them. And this is appropriate because God calls us, all of us, all of us to humility. So we'll pick it up again halfway through verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How do we grow in humility? How do we show humility? Well, one way is by submitting to appropriate authorities. Proud people don't submit. It takes humility to submit yourself. A test for Christian leadership isn't how well someone leads, but how they submit. And we grow in humility, we show humility by praying. Why don't we pray? There's lots of reasons, but one big reason is pride. I don't need to pray because I can do it myself. How ridiculous is that? We can only say I can do it myself if we completely ignore the past. Think back over the mistakes, the failures of even just this week. We need God. We can't do it ourselves. But pride blinds us to this truth. We can't do it. But God is able. 
And he promises when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves in prayer, when we humble ourselves by putting ourselves under authority, when we humble ourselves by quietly serving others, the world may not see it. There'll be no applause or medal from the world, but God sees it and he'll exalt his people at the appropriate time. But for now, we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard because the world we live in is dangerous. Verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever. Amen. Despite my name, I've never been in a lion's cage and I'm not planning to either. Uh, But I've been around animals, cattle, horses, and even around domesticated animals, you've got to be on guard. You've got to be fully aware of everything going on around you. But a lion's taking this to even another level. The devil here is pictured like a lion, a hungry lion. Lions are dangerous at any time, but especially when they're hungry. I used to find this picture of the devil wanting to devour believers a bit strange. Why would the devil try to do something impossible? We heard back in chapter 1, if you're trusting Jesus, then you're being shielded by God's power for salvation. If God is protecting his people, what, what hope would the devil have? And more than that, what's his, what's his game? What's his purpose? What would he get out of devouring Christians? Uh, some people wrongly think God's building his army, that's Christians, and the, the devil's recruiting for his army, that's everyone else, and what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a big battle and whoever's got the biggest army in the end, they're going to win. The Bible doesn't say that. Or they think Satan's trying to get more people into hell than God's going to get into heaven, like some kind of popularity contest, but that's a lie. The, the Bible says neither of those things. And so this verse had confused me. Why would Satan try to do something impossible, devour God's chosen and holy people? And what would he get out of it anyway? And then I realised sin makes no sense. Sin makes no sense. Why do we lie? When God is truth and all truth will be revealed on the last day, who do we think we're fooling with our lies? Why do we bully and abuse people when God opposes the proud? God opposes the bully and gives grace. Why would we do it? Because sin makes no sense. It's foolish. It's stupid. Our rebellion against God twists our hearts corrupted. If we were thinking and feeling rightly, we wouldn't sin. And there's something similar going on with Satan. 
Peter rightly compares him to a wild animal, unthinking, instinctual and dangerous. How are we to respond to this roaring lion? We are to stand firm. Not panic, not run away, and also to not attack. Because God is in control. God promises to restore and make us strong, firm and steadfast. It's like the young child in the yard with the the dogs running around and yapping. What do you say to that child? Stand still. Talk calmly. Stop screaming your head off. Talk calmly and put your arms down by your side. And we say this to the child because even though the dogs could be dangerous... Mum or dad is there, ready to swoop in if the animal attacks. God says, stand firm. He doesn't say attack. He doesn't say learn some magic spell that will make Satan go away because he is in control. And even if the lion gets close and we feel his breath or even his teeth starting to press in, if we feel this as we suffer, as we're tempted to give in to sin, even as we feel that our Heavenly Father is there, ready to swoop in and save his child. He promises to restore, confirm, strengthen and establish us. As he does for our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout time. Verse 12 With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, Babylon is a metaphor uh, based on the Old Testament experience of the Jews being conquered and taken into exile. Uh, We heard at the start of this letter, uh, this letter was written to elect exiles. Well, Peter is not only a fellow elder, he's a fellow exile. He is in Babylon, in the heart of enemy territory. Uh, Babylon might refer to Rome or Jerusalem, and the Christians there send their greetings because they're facing similar suffering. And the church in this metaphorical Babylon, along with Peter and Mark, Mark is most likely the bloke we meet in Acts. He's also most likely the author of Mark's gospel that we're going to be getting back into next week. They're supporting Peter and praying with Peter that those who read these letters, the elect, and also us, It's their prayer that we will stand firm. Stand firm knowing our inheritance can't be taken away. It won't perish, spoil or corrupt because it's protected by God. That we'll stand firm knowing God uses suffering to purify and strengthen us. Good, even when we suffer unjustly because that's what Christ has called us to. And we know God uses our good deeds to bring people to glorify him. That will stand firm submitting to church leaders and even to bad human authorities because Jesus is our Lord. That will stand firm in hope, 
even as we're away from our heavenly home. And as we do this, we'll have opportunities to give an answer for the hope that's in us. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, please strengthen, restore, confirm and establish us. Uh, Enable us to stand firm. Please do this for us all and for our elders. Loving Father, please be raising up godly men as future elders for our church. Help us to be a discerning church, uh, to be able to assess those we would appoint to eldership. Make us a praying church. Please be growing us in humble reliance on you as we pray. And give us strength to persevere through suffering, that we might live to your glory, to you be power together with the Son and the Spirit forever and ever. Amen.